Dr. Lindsay Wisner. I'm a psychologist, author, a mom, and still an occasional shit show. You're listening to the Neurotic Nourishment Podcast. This is a place for smart, sweary women to talk about stuff that matters, stuff that can make us uncomfortable, but stuff that helps us to learn and grow and be okay with living in that discomfort of not knowing the right thing to say or do all the time. Thanks for listening. You can also find me on Instagram at psychshrinkmom or at neurotic nourishment. Rafe Durazi hasn't had the easiest life. Not that you would know it now from the looks of him. Yeah, he's a smoking hot, all natural bodybuilder, fitness model, and vlogger. A few months ago, I started working with a new patient who is HIV positive. When I was growing up, I imagine when you were growing up, this was pretty much a death sentence. If not a death sentence, it was uh, like a leper sentence, you know, where people feared you and tried to stay away from you. There wasn't a lot of hope. And now things are really different. It feels particularly important to talk about this today on the second week of isolation as fear and hopelessness and helplessness overwhelm our nation. As our kids are struggling to to understand why they can't see their friends and our parents are, well, we as parents are struggling to understand why we're suddenly homeschooling. Um, eight years ago, Rafe was in what he thought was a monogamous relationship. And then on the day of his birthday, he found out he had what a doctor callously referred to as, quote, full-blown AIDS. So Rafe threw his entire being into focusing on his health with clean eating, healthy workouts. And now he's a fucking rock star and an inspiration to so many. The interesting thing is when Rafe was first diagnosed, the AIDS pandemic was at its worst. Oh yeah, it was a pandemic. I should mention that. Guess what? We survived that pandemic. Our world survived, even if not every person did. Science won. Today it is possible to live with HIV and with the help of medication and taking care of your health, you can be undetectable and therefore untransmittable. I think it's important that we talk about this, not only because it's something that most people don't know, um, but also because right now we are neck deep in this shit. And it's way too easy to get caught up in an end of the world scenario. Let's use Rafe's story as a reminder that our world will not end here. Our world didn't end after 9-11. There will be a new norm for us, just as there is a new norm for Rafe, and just as there was a new world after 9-11 or World War II or anything else we as humans have had to get by or get through. I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope this episode reminds you that this isn't the end of all of us and I hope you choose to follow Rafe on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and YouTube at Rafe R-A-I-F Darazi D-E-R-A-Z-Z-I 
I think I'm going to go with thank you again because I'm very grateful um, for you being on. And I, I do want to talk about how I sort of found you. Um, you are, I, if I say idol, it sounds like stalking, but um, <laughs> um, you know, you are a, a model, a figurehead, a presence that uh, a new patient of mine uh, has been, has used, you know, has relied on to, to help her understand her own struggle. Um, uh, I'm trying not to give too much away about my patients, but what we're essentially talking about here, and my title is always makes it abundantly clear, but we're talking about, and please correct me if I say something that's wrong or outdated. Um, sure. cause I like to learn. Um, so, uh, we're talking about sort of where HIV is today. Um, and as I, did I already say something wrong? No. Okay. As I told you, to me, you know, it was the 80s, it was benefits, it was like something to scare the shit out of you, you know, when you were uh, sexually active. I was always kind of a prude. So I never, um, I don't know, I was just a prude. Um, and so uh, I never, and also for a million reasons, I, like I think many people, never kept up on the development of it. Like I was aware that people with HIV slash AIDS or how do yeah. I, okay. We're and living. That's kind of assumption too, just to jump in. That Please. Being prude means that you don't have to be. Concerned. Excellent point. You're right. You're right. Um, uh, but I, to me, when I was, you know, I'm 42 years old. And so when I was growing up, it was like, now we've got like a thousand sexually transmitted diseases that we're aware <laughs> of, but it was um, the only time I ever really heard anything about HIV being able to be transmitted other ways, although I intellectually understood, was uh, my mom had once, my mom likes to scare the shit out of me. It's like her own form of personal trauma and abuse. And she mentioned that she had had um, surgeries and she was in the hospital and, you know, like sort of raised the possibility that she might have it because of blood transplants. Um, okay. Yeah, she's cool like that, you know. Um, but there are a m not a million, but there are many different ways to be, um, to be. Uh, is the word infected? Infected. Yeah. Okay. Um, I watched Outbreak the other night because everyone's freaking out about the oh, coronavirus. Man. Well, everyone's freaking out about the coronavirus except me, and so I watched Outbreak, and so now I, you know, um, it's like the zombie. Is the other one? Exactly. It's like the zombie apocalypse. Oh, so many. Um, but what my patient did explain to me, and it was something that I had never heard, and she is in nursing school. She is um, waiting to pass her final. And I definitely had some questions around that, you know, like, is that safe? Is that this? Which led into the um, U equals U, which is undetectable equals untransmittable. You got it. Okay. I did a little research. I didn't want to sound like an asshole. Um, and so she was talking about the people that inspired her um you know and sh um she was born with it um her her mother had it and then passed it on to her um i am aware that there are and were medications that could have been taken so that the baby the fetus was not infected or to help prevent it or whatnot um yeah. but for reasons we don't know we we just don't know i don't know she doesn't yeah. know that that's not what occurred and she keeps this secret from, you know, 99% of the people in her life. And so she has such this burden and I was so intrigued by this concept and I really felt dumb. And so she, she speaks so highly of you and I know you're doing good work. And so here you are stuck on my podcast because I begged and you said yes. Yay. Um, yay. So tell me your story. My story, um, as, as at least starting out with HIV, or? Uh, I don't know. I'm curious about all of it. You're more than just yeah, HIV, don't you think? So much. <laughs> well, I was born in the Netherlands. Um, okay. I'm a mix of Moroccan and Dutch Indonesian. My mom's Dutch Indo. My biological father's Moroccan. He's also super hot, by the way. Listeners, you should look <laughs> him up. Sorry, what? I'm allowed He's to- not my father. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, so he was actually very- both, both verbally and physically abusive. Okay. So so much so that she was feared for her life and, okay. and our safety. 
So she fled the, the Netherlands when I was about four and a half. We came to the US. Um, she didn't tell anybody, so it was just her and I. I used a fake name for the first 22 years of my life. I went wow. by Timmy Zimmer. T what is it? Timmy Zimmer? Timmy Zimmer, yeah. That's, that's kind of a horrible name. Does it translate it's better horrible. in like the Netherlands? <laughs> no. What do they speak Timmy in Netherlands? The Wait. Dutch. Dutch. Does it, thank you. Does yeah. it translate better in Dutch? No. Timmy was the most American name she could think of. Oh, fair. Um, and Zimmer is my, who, who would become my stepdad's last name. He never adopted me. But did you, did she flee with him? No, just her and I. Okay, so then when did Zimmer, you just had one, you just didn't- She met him here and then eventually was like, oh, we'll just throw on Zimmer to the end of your name when you go to school. Oh, so it was, you, you were just Timmy, no last name. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I was- Fair enough, it doesn't matter. First, like six months. Yeah, <laughs> fine. <laughs> um, anyway, so grew up here in OC. Um, you know, oh my gosh, I'm going through puberty again. Uh, grew up here in OC, lived with my stepdad and my mom, and um, in my teens is when I really, because I touched on that I, you know, had like a, a period where I was really depressed and I had a suicide attempt. And that was in my teens. And I, I believe looking back, it's because I never really dealt with the trauma of what I went through with my biological father, leaving, you know, my family and my home country coming to the U.S. And when I got here, I, I, I was the odd kid out. I didn't know that cultural norms. I li lived in Orange County where it's a pretty, you know, a lot of people have a lot of money there. Yeah, um, I live in a small town in Long Island. I, and I grew up in Boca Raton, Florida. Yeah. So I got, yeah. Yeah. And we were struggling. So um, I got picked on for that, for being different. And I think, um, you know, other kids could sense that I was gay early on when I, I myself had no idea. I was in complete denial about it. Although uh, looking back, I could see signs. I, um, I, I want to interrupt you for a funny, and then I want to ask you a serious. I, um, I had a good friend in um, college that was two years younger than me, and he once put a move on me, and I was drunk and dumb, and we were all ignorant. And I was like, but you're gay. He's like, no, <laughs> I'm not. And P.S., he is now an extremely successful playwright, gay as can be. He's madly in love with his boyfriend. And we reunited like five years ago, and I was like, I told you, motherfucker. And, <laughs> Isn't you know, that funny, though, how like other people can know before that the person? I didn't even think it was like a question. And like we yeah. spoke about it as adults, and he really was like, no, I had no idea, you know? Yeah. Um, and we were 19. I thought that would be, um, I don't know when's old enough actually, but, um, you know, but it was very funny. Fortunately, he's, um, he's awesome. He's dating some super hot actor in one of these British shows that I don't watch, but that's yes. Um, but that was my funny. Um, can we talk a little bit more about the suicide attempt? Yeah, or? of course. So how old were you? I believe I was... 15 or 16. At that point, I had kind of joined the punk crowd and I was really going through my feels and all the emo. Yeah. And it just got worse and worse and worse. And I felt like no one really understood me and no one knew how to intervene and like shake me out of it, including my, especially my, my parents. Uh, my mom was just, I mean, she knew obviously that I was suffering, but she didn't have the wherewithal to kind of snapped me out of it and I just I resented her for that and I resented the fact that I couldn't set myself out of it out of it and it just I was becoming so numb to everything that I just right. needed to do something really really extreme now I know some people when they do suicide attempt they're really trying to kill themselves sure. if I was really honestly trying to kill myself I would have and could have but so I OD'd on a bunch of painkillers and allergy medicine but the thing is, I didn't consume the whole bottle. Okay. Because what I wanted was to come so close to death and, and or even die and get, you know, um, brought back to life yeah. that it would shake the people around me to be like, yo, like do something for this kid because he's dying, literally. Right. That's my intention. You're, right. Like, you're, cry for help. You're dying. And it's interesting to hear you say that because... Um, well, I imagine you've been to therapy since because it's a really brave thing to admit. Um, and I also interesting is although um, females attempt 
more often than men, men are ridiculously more successful because they like use. Interesting. They're very, you know, like they're efficient, they're effective. Yeah. It's, you yeah. know, um, so it's definitely interesting that you're, um, that I don't know if you're aware at the time, but it sounds like pretty soon around that you became aware that this was more of a cry for help. Yeah, for sure. Um, um, and so who found you? Well, oddly enough, as, as soon as that happened, I went about business as usual and I went to my high school. There was a play being put on that night. So I went with my friends, sat there, watched the play. What was the play? I, I'm trying so hard to remember. It's just kind of, I'm sorry, I know. It's just like, I they want know. some like, I don't know what I want it to be, but I want it to be something that makes it like, something you know. poetic about it. Absolutely. But I know it was like a poignant play. Anyway, so I went home, I went to bed. I had work the next day. I went to work. I was feeling very, very weird. And I remember uh, 10 minutes in, I went up to my manager and I was like, hey, you know, I OD'd last night. I think I need to go to the hospital. Like there's mm. something really wrong with me. And she, her reaction was just like, are you serious? <laughs> Who am I supposed to find to cover your shift right now? <laughs> right. And I was like, oh my God, all right, I'm out. Peace. So I went to the ER with my mom. Um, the, uh, the doctor in ER was like, you're really lucky. Another girl was in here earlier today. Her liver is gone because of all the Tylenol that she OD'd on. You look okay. You have to go to therapy. And I'm like, I'm not going. Of course. So he turned to my mom and, my, and he said, you know, you can put him in inpatient therapy because he's a minor. So that's exactly what I did. I went to a, it's called college hospital. And they took, you know, take out my shoelaces, my earrings, Put me with a bunch of other kids on um, antidepressants and watched me very closely for a week. How, how, oh, oh, you were there for a week. Um, did uh, what was that a helpful experience? Because a couple of things. One is if you, you this is not a juvenile delinquent thing, but if you send a bunch of anorexis or a bunch of you know yes. juvenile delinquents, they just get better at what they do. Um, oh, and it was all of those people. Yes. In one place. Right. But like, did you guys trade tips on suicide and depression? Like, cause that's literally what happens. You just, it's Lord. like, it's like, oh, you think that's good. Watch what I can do. You know? It's funny that you asked that question because I actually want to do, I want to go there and interview them because, because it was so helpful for, for me and the people who were in charge at that time were so smart about the way that they handled me. Because when I first got there, I was I, would, I refused to talk to anybody. I refused to have any, show any emotion. I was just in a room by myself staring at the wall. Right. I disengaged. And um, at some point, one of the nurses decided to put me in the room with the two worst offenders there. Ooh. And the night before, they had peed on their roommate while he was sleeping. They were blowing up the toilets. They were just doing all kinds of you know, stuff. Right. And so I went into survival mode. And I was like, I have to be friends with these guys. Otherwise, they're going to destroy me. <laughs> and in so doing, becoming one of them, I kind of re refound my excitement for life, even though in the moment it was about like causing havoc and mayhem. I was. It's still something to feel excited about, though, yeah. you know, like, uh, by the way, one of the tips in the book is try something new. So there you go. <laughs> um, yeah. And now do you I don't know if you'd know this, but like right now, I know that a lot of times. Well, I guess that's more for rehab centers than for um, uh, like uh, inpatient settings. But so I was going to say a lot of times the people that work there previously have suffered from this, but um, mm. it is my hope that that is not the case. I mean, I have a very negative, I hate when someone sends a patient to the, for a psych eval to a hospital. Because it's like nine hours of their life gone. You, you literally have to walk in holding a knife to your neck. Or mm -hmm. you have to walk in like right before five o'clock on a three-day weekend. You know, to, to get... And then mm. my patients so far usually end up leaving feeling worse. Like they thought they were doing well. Yeah. Then they said a word and some, you know, asshole yeah. sent them. Um, Yours is valid. You actually did a, a half decent attempt, although you must have amazing stamina considering how that all played out. You know? Oh man. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. I have to laugh. It's uh, you yeah. know, 
And there's also something to be said about like your first job at 15 or 16 and how like, you know, minimum oh, wage yeah. assholes, like, you know. Yeah. You couldn't write that. <laughs> no, but we should. Yeah. Um, so you're there a week and then you came out. Uh-huh. And then I was like, obviously things need to change. Um, and kind of incidentally at the same time, one of my best friends at the time said, have you ever considered joining drama and doing drama? I think you'd be really good at it. Cause I'm, cause I was so much of a performer just naturally. Sure. And so I thought, you know, I hadn't really thought about it, but sure. Why not? And you're sure I, it was the performer and not like a gay vibe, right? <laughs> I mean, they don't Okay, fine. <laughs> so, I, I mean, as soon as I started in the drama department, I just took off. And yeah. at that point, it was like, rehearsals are such a commitment. I have to either commit my time to rehearsing or smoking and drinking with my friends. Mm. And so that fell by the wayside and I was just all in. I was the lead of the musical in the first year. I was just competing with acting and just took off. Fantastic. Yeah. And then, of course, my morale went up too and my self-worth. Sure. Uh, another step in the book is find your happy people. Yeah. Yeah. I listen. Yeah. I'm just listen. The first time I gave an interview about the book, they asked me, "So, what are the ten steps?" I was like, "Fuck yeah. if I know." I wrote it two years ago, okay. but, um, but now I like to point it out. Um, so you found acting, and it sounds like high school was a little easier after that. I found my happy people. However, my yeah. happy people were heavily involved in church. Oh. So. I mean, that, not to say that that's a bad no, thing. No, but, but did you know, but uh, but I associate most churches, religions with being anti-gay, and I'm not sure if you knew that you were gay or what, you yeah. know. Yeah, and that was the thing. I was so impressionable and naive, and I, I, I was like, this is making me happy, and these people are happy, so they must be on to something. So I started going to church regularly. I got heavily involved in their theater department, and I was just like, yes, this is, this is my peeps. Well, this that was the best acting you'd ever done, so. <laughs> I mean, it was, but it was all a positive influence yeah. in my life up to the point where I realized that I am gay and had to come out. Okay. How'd that happen? <laughs> you just got so excited. I did. This is all <laughs> exciting. I like to, I like to, first of all, you're comfortable and I get to ask questions. Yeah. So I like yeah. it. Good. Or so, you're acting like you're comfortable. So whatever. <laughs> One and the same. Exactly. Uh, when I, it, it basically happened as soon as I graduated high school. I came out, I called a very, like a confidant, older woman in, the, in church that I had become really close to. And she was like, you know, it's okay. Um, but let me tell you that you weren't born gay and you, it, you can change. Okay, I wanna go back to that. But what was your aha moment? My aha moment was realizing that I was uh, in love with someone. Okay. That's, like, that's, oh, a, okay. that's a pretty yeah. solid aha moment. Can't deny yeah. it anymore. Nope. Yeah. nope. So um, she said you can, you weren't born this way and you can change. Yes. Do you believe, I, I know the answer, but I'm going to ask it for just to point it out. Like, do you believe people are born gay? Yes. Valid. Yeah. And even if they're not born gay. It doesn't matter. Gay is thrust upon them at the age of 12. I think we should use a different word than thrust, but fine, yes. <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, the connotations are bad. I know. But I, I think I, I'm going to go down the same path as you. Even Shakespearean reference. I didn't mean that. Oh, <laughs> you know, even, let's say it is, you know, psychology, we're all about nature versus nurture. So, um, so you believe that it's nature. Um, I believe that it doesn't matter, you exactly. know, because, A, why would... Um, why would uh, sexual identity preference be the only, see the whole um, gender identification has got my you know, old brain in a tizzy too, but so I'm, I'm struggling. But so why would, why would sexual, in my mind, I think it, it's probably or possibly, or it doesn't fucking matter because um, like, let's say a dog bites me when I'm five and I'm afraid of dogs for the rest of my life. It's still an experience that has shaped who, my, who I am. Does it matter whether I was born with a dog fear or not? Um, that made it, gayness sound, that made homosexuality sound negative. That's not like what I mean. Like a traumatic event? Yeah, that's not what I meant. Like, I wasn't thinking like, you know, a lot of people think like, right. oh, you know, uh, molestation or whatever. Um, yeah. I wasn't thinking like that. I was simply thinking. Or like, if you get an allergy at 
age eight. Right. Were, were you born with that allergy or did it come later? Right. The permanence is still the same. Exactly. And that's how I feel. I, I, I'm, I'm not convinced one way or the other, um, you know, but I do think like our, um, I do think my, my husband is exactly like my father and I would never have married someone like my mother. And like, I think we marry one or both of our parents and all that. And so in some ways, I do think there are four year olds who prance about and you're like, Oh, you are gay. Yeah. 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 Um, we've had that thought of before about one of my children, but, uh, but we'll see. We're waiting. Um, I agree. And uh, I don't know. I, I guess I think maybe it's important to people. You tell me. It sounds like maybe the being born gay is important. I'm not going to ask you to speak for every gay man or gay woman in the world because that seems like a lot. But like, it sounds like to me it's important because too many times asshats will be like, uh, we'll, you know, we'll ask if someone abused you or, or uh, look for a negative thing um, that defined your sexuality. And by the way, when someone dies, when a kid commits suicide, the uh, Facebook moms groups are automatically filled with assumptions of what and mm. of like bullying or um, something the parents did. And it's really a self-preservation about like, there, but there for the grace of God. There, but for the grace of God, go I. Like this happened to that kid, it could never happen to mine. Right. And it's a uh, destructive, but it's a like a defense mechanism that's fucked totally. up. So, um, it used yeah. to be important to me to know okay. nature versus nurture. I mean, there was a period where I was so obsessed at like finding out research and studies and what people say. And now I really don't care. In fact, the guy that I'm dating now, he will swear to you that. At the, I believe it was at the age of 26, he became gay. He okay. didn't have a gay inkling, thought, desire whatsoever before that. He dated women. He was planning on marrying one of them. Um, and then suddenly something happened. I don't know what, but then now he's gay. I'm like, okay. Interesting. I want yeah. to make a joke. If something happened, he had sex with a man. I don't know. Um, but uh, <laughs> it's interesting. And, and not every person has to follow the same path. Right. So, um, yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm, it's also, I feel like it's also sort of an antiquated idea, but, um, but so you went to church and this, um, mentor and she said essentially, don't worry, we can pray the gay out of you. Yeah. And so I met up with one of the pastors and he decided that we were going to have a weekly discipleship where we read certain scriptures. I have homework. I have to abstain from, you know, any kind of sexual acts with myself or otherwise, pornography, all of that. It was basically an informal conversion therapy. What, uh, around what year was this? Oh, Lord. I know, I'm sorry. But because I know in the yeah. 60s, there was someone who meant well, and then his research got destroyed and into uh -huh. something else. But, um, um, but that's not the 60s. It was probably the 90s or so. It was like 2003. Okay, I'm an old bitch. Okay, go on. <laughs> 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 Fine. So he's still trying to pray the gay out of you, right? With conversion uh, therapy. Yeah. So that happened for, I, I did that for about, I tried for about six months. And then I realized that I was starting to get depressed like I was when I had the suicide attempt. Yeah. And that's when I decided this is not for me. This isn't going to work. I got to figure out something else. It must have been really tough to leave your people. Oh, I, so I was being groomed to go to a private Christian university the head of the theater department already asked me to be in their Brigadoon show and a couple other shows because they didn't have enough talent and they wanted me to come as soon as I was ready to transfer over from my community college. And so once I made that decision, that pastor said, well, you know, in my pastoral reference, which you need to get accepted, um, I have to write that you're willfully living in sin. And so as the, as the chain of events followed, I was no longer allowed to be in leadership roles at the church, meaning I couldn't do theater with them. Um, I couldn't, you know, volunteer in their, like, activities, and then I got rejected from the university that I wanted to go to, and all the people that I met there as well, so all my Christian community basically left me at that point. And I mean, living in sin, come on, many people were living in sin in different ways at that time, at an yeah. age, I'm betting, so yes. Yeah. Um, so what did you do? So then I <laughs> had decided, okay, well, I was like, I have to continue my community college path yep. and that's when I stumbled on speech and debate and I didn't realize that there's a whole portion of speech and debate that is basically just acting 
Yeah. But you have a book in your hand and you turn the pages with the script. Yeah. And then we call it a speech. Yep. So I did that. I competed. I competed statewide and nationally. I won gold nationals. It was awesome. Yeah. From there, I was able to transfer to UCLA as a musical theater major. Yeah, uh, I went to Georgetown, and the people in Philademic were not exactly the most liberal. So, mm. fortunately, you were somewhere different because those are definitely yeah. the Republicans yeah. running things these days. Yeah. 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 Um. So you transferred theater department. Yeah. Uh, when do we decide? When do we discover? that we are HIV positive. I don't know why I'm saying we, it's like a therapist thing, but I never do it. I think I'm We're just- together. I think I'm just nervous. You know, I don't want to say the wrong thing. So um, yeah. when did we discover that we uh, were HIV positive or, well, yes, that's what we would say. Uh, it was at, shortly after I had finished, and I say finished at UCLA because I'd never graduated. That's okay. <clears throat> I say I did my postdoc at, but I never graduated either. Ah. Very good. Don't tell. <laughs> I was in a monogamous, or so I thought, committed long-term relationship uh, midway through my time at UCLA. And then after, and I just got, I just started getting really, really sick. But it was so, it was such a slow, gradual increase of symptoms and intensity yeah. that it was almost like a frog being boiled alive. And not, I don't know if that's true, but. Where does that analogy come from? That's like a Harry Potter thing. But right though, don't I don't know. Is that like a thing we say? Have you never heard that? No. People say, oh, like it a must frog. be a weird church thing. I don't know. <laughs> Frogs in water and boil them. It like if you gradually increase the water, they won't they won't know that it's changing and they'll just boil alive. What about lobsters? You had lobsters all the time. You put those in, in boiling water and they scream. That's not. Oh uh, yeah, that's true. I have never heard that, and I it's gonna haunt my dreams. Um, what were like the first symptoms? Just general sense of fatigue and soreness. I was sort of going to the gym. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I wasn't putting on any muscle mass. Because now you're huge into gym, correct? Oh, totally. Yeah. Okay, good. Part of my life. And I would get vertigo, little dizzy spells. It was, it was things that was, would stack up on each other, but I, I didn't know to connect them all. Yeah. And then it was from one thing. I kind of just thought, well, I'm getting older and I'm just dealing with different things and stress and whatever. And then, you know, eventually I started to get um, kind of eczema outbreaks, and I would get sick maybe more frequently. Uh, it got to the point where eventually I had a sore in the back of my throat that wasn't healing, and I thought it was strep. It was really painful. And my boyfriend at the time, his dad was a doctor in another state, so he just sent a prescription. I took sure. antibiotics. It healed. It was fine. A few weeks later, it came back. Like, oh my gosh, like, what the heck? And at that point, my lymph nodes were swollen, yeah. and my armpits, behind my ears, everywhere. Ryan, so like, yeah. I've got some sort of infection. This is really bad. I got to go to the doctor, even though I don't have um, health insurance. And that was kind of the thing that prolonged me going to the doctor. Why didn't you have health insurance? I couldn't like, afford it. Through the school? Nothing? No? Oh, that was, it was um, after UCLA. Okay. I wasn't really making that much money. I was working at, like, at a cafe. Fine. So that was kind of a luxury for me. And yeah. I really, it wasn't so bad that I was going to sit at, in a hospital room for four or five hours waiting to get seen for a sore throat. I don't think they had urgent care then, did they? They did, but the, again, you're going to pay like 100, 150 bucks. And come out with a misdiagnosis, so. Yeah, I'm like, ugh, I don't want to go through all yeah. that. Get some antibiotics and then, you know, whatever. But it got to the point where that my throat was getting so bad and just all of it together was so bad that I was like, okay, I'm going to figure out something. I Googled some like program in LA called Healthy Way LA. I went to the county hospital. They're like, how did you even hear about this program? Nobody knows about it unless you get it through like a, a mediator. Um, and a mediator? Like, I, a mediator? Uh, just some like a, I don't know. Like a, I don't a referral source of something, but I yeah, don't know what. Yeah. Who, like, take linkage to care. Okay. Yeah. So I ended, I literally waited eight hours to see a doctor at County Hospital. Mm. She's like, let's just do a full screening of tests. She was really sweet. We were like joking and vibing back and forth. She's like, okay, we did the test. Come back in a week and then we'll talk. Come back in a week. A week? It took that long? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I know. We've so got I rapid strep tests now. So, you know. I wait another eight hours. 
And I come into the room and she's noticeably completely different. Her energy is just very, very low. She's solemn, she's quiet. And I sit down and I'm like, oh, maybe she's having a bad day. She, <laughs> she, I remember her staring at the computer nerve monitor and breathing in and out. And then she turns to me and she goes, you have HIV. God. And immediately, I don't know if you know, like in movies where it's like, it's like it's tunnel vision. Yeah. Like, he just goes far away. That's exactly what happened. I never experienced anything like that before. And I just started to break down. And she said, I'm going to give you 10 minutes. I need you to call someone that you love and trust and tell them, do that, take care of it. And I'll be back in 10 minutes. You know, she probably went to cry. I'd never thought about that. I, uh, uh, I don't think that makes it any better or any worse, but, um, I just, I'm usually on the other end. So I, I feel the, that breaks my heart think, to think about that too. Cause I never even considered that. I'm sorry. I think it's a, to me, it's a sign of the, I don't know. It's like a, a human bond connection. Yeah. Like, a, I like that. That's my fantasy of what she did. Um, yeah. And I think that's what I would have done. And I think that um, I'm supposed to be all non unemotional and stoic, mm -hmm. but the truth is, fuck it, I cry with patience. So that makes me want to like find her and be like, I'm I'm great. <laughs> I know, you. I know, right? <laughs> uh, so she came back after I called my mom and told her and, and another friend. You didn't call your boyfriend. Uh, I think I called him too. No, I had to. I'm sure I did. Okay. Just don't, I, I sort of block things out related to him because he's not the most upstanding person. I understand. I'm sorry. I'm asking difficult questions. No. Um, so she came back in and she said, okay, so I need you to go to a follow-up appointment in a week at the HIV clinic. Now, don't be alarmed. Don't be scared because you're going to see a lot of really sick, really bad looking people. Um, a lot of homeless people, a lot of drug users, et cetera. So I came back a week later. Incidentally, that appointment was on my 27th birthday. Do you not know how to change appointments so that they don't occur on these days? Fine, whatever. Okay. I was in such a state, it was not even like, I probably didn't even realize until the day. I understand. I, I was waiting in the doctor's office and the nurse came by. He was like six foot three, covered in tats, piercings, like kind of had a hunch. And he, he, he peers into the room and he goes, hey, you know why you're here, right? And I go, uh, I have HIV. And he goes, bro, you got way more than that. You got full-blown AIDS and walks off. Um, yes. I just got the heebie-jeebies because I want to punch him. But also explain the difference between HIV and full-blown AIDS. And full-blown is a term that... Yeah, makes, I don't think it's scientific, is it? I mean... People don't like to use that term anymore, yeah. Um, but at the time it was, it was, why don't people like to use that term? Um, I'm not sure exactly. I just know that I've been corrected on it. I think it's insensitive. It's just, it's just being politically correct. I don't like that. The HIV community has decided we're not going to use the term full blown anymore. Well, I was told two days ago that the suicide by a non-clinician that huh? the, um, mental health suicide prevention um group has decided not to use the word stigma because that brings up negativity yeah so that's oh. why i'm yeah. yeah i told her i i made a white privilege comparison and i was like you can't if you can't talk about it you can't change it but Lord, I know. right obviously this is different than full-blown i guess full-blown really implies like a titanic sinking yeah. ship it just it implies such so much negativity that's not yeah. that based fine um so okay aids aids is when your cd4 count it's a it's a type of white blood cell falls below 250 per milliliter of blood okay um in conjunction with certain symptoms or aids related illnesses such as um, lesions, lesions? Thrush, yeah, lesions for sure. Kaposi sarcoma would be the lesions or oral thrush, which is what I had, which is basically your body's inability to keep, you have good gut bacteria, but in your body keeps it in check where it's supposed to be. When your body's no longer able to do that, it just grows out of control and it starts attacking your throat and coming out your mouth. 
babies get that from breastfeeding and then pass it on to their moms yes i don't know why but i just know that so yeah that's very interesting i know right um so the cd4 is a what is it let cell count oh so why don't we just call it wbc fine um white Uh, because there's different kinds of white blood cells okay and is and then is this the thing that if it's above 500 you're good or is that something else above um yeah, typically 500 is what you're shooting for. Okay. Yeah. And then there, and then they also measure the viral load. Okay, so you explain it because I'm interrupting it and I'm ignorant, no. so I want to learn. No, I like yeah. Uh, the viral load is how much virus you have. Okay. Of blood. And so the goal is you want it to be undetectable. Yeah. Which means that the ART or antiretroviral therapy is doing its job and it's suppressed and it's, they're not detecting it in the blood. But they didn't have that at the time, did they? Yeah. They did in yeah. 2003, this is? 2005? Um, wait, I was, this was after UCLA, so I was 2012. I did, I did the four-year plan in the community college. Sure. And I took some time off and That's three fine. years at UCLA, so. I don't, give a, I don't give a fuck about your education. I'm more trying to figure out how this all like came out. Yeah. Uh, or like when this became a thing and why there was no Shazam, you know, not yeah. Shazam, but you know what I mean? Um, yeah. so you go show up at this clinic. The guy says you have, uh, the dick, we're going to go with dickhead says you have full blown AIDS. And how much did you know about HIV versus AIDS, et cetera, at the time? Nothing. Yeah. I, as when, when my, my doctor told me I had HIV alone, I thought in my head, okay. So I'm going to be dead in two to three years. Right. So do I go to work? Do I continue life as normal? Or do I just go on a trip around the world backpacking until I die? Well, you have to find someone to cover your shift, of course, you know. Oh, oh yeah. I got to clear it first. <laughs> right, right. Clear it first. Um, but so you, I guess a part of me is surprised uh, mm, uh, inappropriately. I want to say racist, but it's not racist, but like stereotypically, like I'm surprised that you as a gay male did not know more about um, HIV at, versus, oh, listen, I saw Philadelphia 8,000 oh, years ago. So. Irony? Yeah. Here's the big irony. When I was still in Orange County going to community college, I was volunteering for a nonprofit organization that targeted 18 to 24 year old males uh, to help with HIV AIDS prevention. And STIs. But and what, that's how little I knew. But what did you do? You just gave out condoms and you know, educated? Condoms, we had like group activities. We met up with people and it was just general volunteer work. Uh, but the fact that I could do all that and still no, not know what a viral load was or CD4 count or the difference between HIV and AIDS. But I guess that's apart it. from, did you, did you know anyone else in your life at that time that had HIV slash AIDS? No, the one encounter that I had with someone who had HIV, which I found out later, was when I was maybe eight, nine years old. His name was Randy, came by our house one time and he looked really like thin and sickly. And my dad just said he was a friend and that he was sick. And then I never saw him again. And later found out that he had AIDS. That's all I knew. Right. Um, Again, it's that movie Philadelphia. I think it just sort of scarred me into certain, right? That was the Tom Hanks one that, yeah. Okay, yeah. fine. Um, listen, I was very young then. So you suddenly had a lot of learning to do. Yeah. And also as a gay, gay male, I, I wasn't spending a lot of time with gay people or in the gay community. Um, you were in a relationship. So it wasn't like different. Yeah. It wasn't a swinging type, you know, lifestyle. It no, like. but we were both kind of isolated from like, we weren't going to gay clubs and gay bars or anything. Right. So I didn't have that kind of camaraderie with other gay guys to really like, for that to come up in conversation and to share like knowledge about HIV, just didn't happen. So I'm going to apologize. I can't remember if it was before we started recording or after, but when I, you know, I had said sort of lightheartedly, like the only thing I knew about HIV when I was in, you know, high school, college had to do with like safe sex and not sleeping around. And I made a joke about myself being a prude. And so I apologize because clearly, as you said, it's not just, or, Clearly, it's not just about what you do. It's about who you trust, because I have a feeling that's where the story is going. Totally. So, you know, for a while, I thought, well, it can be from, it could be from my boyfriend at the time, or it could be because I had unprotected sex 
right before I jumped into the, the relationship. But I tested negative, but it could have been in that window period where it doesn't show up in the right. test. But then I remember like looking back and seeing the signs and I guess I was naive um, because of certain things, that, certain behaviors from him. Like, I don't, I don't know if I, I'm getting too graphic here, but. I wanna um, know. When we had sex in the beginning, he didn't want to finish okay. inside. Um, I, th I don't think that's too graphic. I think it's important. Okay. Because and what he, if there's someone out there hearing this that, you know. Totally. Yeah. And he told me that he had a weird like mental block and, and he was afraid of getting uh, an infection or something, which to me made no sense because I'm like, if anything, you're clearing things out. Yeah. So I don't understand, but okay, I'm going to be understanding and patient with you. And eventually he got over it. Right. And then later on, I... I remember distinctly one time we were watching a movie in bed together and I turn and look over the side of my eye and he's on Grindr on his phone. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And he goes, oh, I, I'm just looking. It's, it's not, I'm not doing anything. I just like, look at it. And that became an issue. And then eventually towards the end of the relationship, I found out he was, you know, on manhunt.com, on Craigslist, messaging guys and emails and yeah. had a guy over when I was out of town. So um, presumably it was from him and he got tested after I found out and found out that he also had AIDS. I mean, presumably it was from him. I feel like at the beginning of the relationship, his, you know, uh, refusal or hesitancy to, you know, finish inside you, that makes me very suspicious that very frightened, suspicious and angry that perhaps he knew then. Yeah. Or at least was concerned that he did. Right. But if you're concerned, go get a fucking test. But yes, I agree. Right. I'm sorry. He's a dick. I'll kill him if you want. <laughs> oh, God, please don't say he's dead. That would be awful if I just oh, said that. No. Okay, I don't good. think so. He liked a Facebook post of mine like six months ago, and I was like, ugh. We were still skulking around in the mud. Ugh. And yet you're still letting him, but fine. Um, <laughs> I would too. It's okay. I'm still, I'm still, you know, my, um, one of my ex-boyfriends, his wife had horrible taste in China patterns, I found out when they did their registry, and that made me Aww. feel good. Aww. <laughs> My revenge is my success, so he can chew on that. Which is absolutely true. So you go there, you get this, and then um, what's the first step? Um, oof. The first step is go on anti antiretroviral therapy, which is the HIV drugs. It's always a combination of drugs in, in, in the medicine. So you're either taking multiple pills or you're taking one pill that has multiple drugs in it. So at, at that time, um, there weren't as, nearly as many options as there are now. Sure. But, um, so I was put on some medication. I think it was three pills, a red and a white and a blue one. And I just, I just remember thinking how patriotic. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you made that joke because I was like, don't say it, Lindsay. Yeah. No, I, if you go back in my Instagram feed to 2013, I have a picture of them and I literally state that in the comment. So did you like immediately start publicing? Um, that's not a word. Like you said, Instagram feed. Were you like, fuck this, people need to know this goes on? Not on social media, but definitely in my personal life, my family, my coworkers. I told everyone around me. That's kind of how I've always been. Like I'm not good at keeping secrets. Yeah, okay. So, and to my benefit, it created an instant support system. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what we were talking about before about, you know, yeah. uh, destigmatizing suicidal thoughts and, and also destigmatizing yeah. uh, HIV in the, you know, or AIDS in the way that we can. And keeping something a secret adds shame and isolation. Um, and not to get too off track, because I don't know how, how much time we have, but I was also put on antibiotics just to help me fight whatever, um, you know, whatever was going on in my body, like the oral brush. Yeah. And the doctor was like, okay, no, you got to stay out of the sunlight. Don't go outside. Don't mingle in crowded places. No no food that's not fully cooked. So eggs, oh. beef, no sushi. That would have killed me. I'm like a living, you know, I'm a walking culture basically for bacteria. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> sure, sure. I'm sorry. I was laughing at the no sushi, but not the walking culture. So yeah. what did I do? I went on a pre-planned trip to Kauai for someone's wedding and then decided to go on an eight mile hike into the jungle. And by the end of that hike, I was in my hotel room covered in rashes mm. and just blisters it was the most horrifying experience but and there's no point to that except to say that i didn't listen to my doctor do you think that was another passive uh sort almost a suicide but more like uh all right fuck this i can either get over this 
Like I can over, I, you know, like, I don't know, go, go over this or go around it or go through it or. Yeah. That was me saying, I'm going to, I'm going to manhandle this thing. It's not going to control me at that yeah. point. I'm going to do what I want to do. Right. Which yeah. is. And I'm Impre- so glad I did because. It's impressive all- and totally stupid, but yeah, I'm with you. Totally, on totally, totally stupid looking back. Like, oh my gosh. Um, so when, then, yeah. Yeah. So from that point forward for the next year was a really pivotal point for me because so what happened was I was put on a single pill drug called a tripla and my doctor was like it's great it's just one pill it simplifies it for you however it had really really bad side effects so I would wake up in the middle of the night my body would be vibrating I'd be seeing hallucinations when I wake up in the morning for the first 12 hours I'd have this fogginess in the front mm. of my head. I couldn't quite think clearly. And then eventually my doctor, when we did my, our lab work was like, you need to cut back on the drinking and the partying because your liver is not looking good. And I go, oh, which sucks because who needs drinking and partying more than, you know, I go, I go, Dr. Uh, Rochelle, like I'm not drinking at all. Uh. I'm not doing any of that. And she's like, okay, then it's the medication. We need to take it off right now because you have the liver of an alcoholic right now. Uh. Okay. So switch off that. So in, during that time, and I think also that drug uh, causes bone mineral density loss. Oh, osteoporosis-esque. Yeah. So I ended up breaking my ankle going to a trampoline park that first year after my diagnosis. Gotcha. So I was bedridden. And that, being bedridden, forced me to spend so much time with myself. Wow. And during that time, when I was in bed for like five to six months, I started um, doing a gratitude journal. I started reading tons of books. I don't know if you're familiar with Hay House Publications. But they no. Do. But if you say the secret and mention a vision board, I'm out. Stop it. <laughs> That's exactly right. The secret, dream board, vision boards, gratitude Fuck. journals. I believe it. No, I believe in the gratitude journal. And actually, uh-huh. I have a 28-year-old patient I've been seeing on and off for 10 years. And he just yeah. told me that he's like badass, you know, like fucks yeah. everything that move. And he, he, you know, thinks he's buff. And he told me that he and his best friend now wake each other up in the morning yeah. by sharing three things they're grateful for. Yeah. And I think that's fantastic. With that vision board fucking hate it all, all all of that completely changed me inside um it was invaluable for me um uh, <laughs> can see her over there i'm giving you this but, but i have to tell you i hate like whenever someone's really into things i i like my gut reaction is bleh. and so like i haven't seen hamilton and i am not going to because uh-huh. Everyone else loves it. I'm sure it's yeah. fantastic, though. But it was yeah. incredibly, for me, it was an incredibly spiritually transformative. Which um, is all that matters, you know. Yeah. Just, I mean, the overall effect was me going deep in within. Yeah. And figuring things out. Yeah. And then, like, reordering it the way that I need to to be successful. That was, that, that was the main takeaway. Fine. I will support this on you. <laughs> I hate the fucking secret and everyone's got to talk about the secret. Whatever. And by the time I was on my feet, I was like, okay, I'm going to go to the gym because I want to I reclaim my physical health too, not just my emotional and, and mental and spiritual. Were and you so- super into the gym before that? No. Okay. I didn't, I, I had never deadlifted or squatted. I benched maybe a couple times in high school but I didn't really know what I was doing. And I, when I did go to the gym, I was just using the little machines. Yeah. To kind of like do the work for you. Yeah. And uh, now you look like this. So. <laughs> no one yeah. else can see, but I think I'll post that. I'll get more listeners. Yeah. Perfect. I'll go with my bio. <laughs> <laughs> but so there is something very powerful about, um, uh, this is not even remotely similar, but I, I, um, I herniated my first disc when I was 17. I couldn't walk for like a month and every once in a while it happens again. And um, there's something so badass to me about being able to return to f- the physical, to feel the mental, to all of those things. Um, yeah. And I didn't go through, I didn't go through one, one thousandth of what you had been through. And so you reclaimed your, your body, your mind and your yeah. self through this yeah and the interesting part was while i was recovering i w- and going through all that i was i was still with my 
X because he wanted to make it work. And I thought, okay, like this is, you know, what you do. And, and I hadn't figured out all the stuff that I'm telling you now. Like I didn't Fine. figure out, oh, it was probably him. And, oh, you know, I, I was like, okay, so we'll try to, and I thought maybe it could have been me that gave it to him too. So I'm like, let's try to make this work. We'll see if he changes. I tried it for like maybe six months. And this was during the period of me having broken my ankle. And at the end of it, I was like, no, I'm out. I gotta leave. I don't even know if my foot's good enough to, to, to walk on and to work again. I don't have a job yet. My car got repossessed because I couldn't pay the bills, but I need to go. So I broke it off and I had no place to live. I had no, I was completely dependent on him, you know? I had no income. So I found a, a little closet of a space. It was just big enough to fit my bed and that was it for $400 a month in the valley. And I went back to my old job, sobbing, crying, pleading for shifts back. It was a new manager, so he's like, I don't know you, I don't know why I should give you anything. And finally gave me like a couple shifts. I was taking the bus two hours back and forth every day and like from scratch, from square one, eventually got a car, job, working two jobs, double shifts, going to the gym. Can I be a shrink and challenge you for a second? So you think you stayed with him because you hadn't put all the pieces together and you weren't sure. So something I hear from um, uh, breast cancer, they don't like being called survivors, but women who have had breast cancer or men um, is that they feel broken. And I'm sort of wondering, I know, did you feel like, is there any possibility that part of the reason you stayed was because you felt broken? Absolutely. And also, it was this idea that, you know, we both have... Yeah, I thought of that too. And like, who's going to want to be with me now? Right. We have each other. Why would we we abandon that? Right. Like, well, we both got it, so... Right. (laughs) And we both get it, and we both accept each other. So there was that, I think, comfort to it. I think it's comfort, and I was wondering about the broken, because I hear that from women a lot, and, um, uh, and it sucks, and that's not something to obviously to stay in a relationship with but um but when you said that that was just where my mind went so i wanted to see if my shrink instinct was right yeah good call thank you i'm good at what i do (laughs) um so you started getting back on your feet Uh and And when did you become the sensation i was busting my butt in the gym not really knowing what i was doing but you know doing it really hard sure and eventually uh, one of the personal trainers pulled me aside he was obviously like someone who does steroids and is a huge bodybuilder. And he goes, have you ever considered competing? And I go, mm, no, not for me. I, I was looking at this guy. I'm like, I don't have anything in common with you. I've never been <laughs> steroids. Thanks for no things. And he's like, well, um, and we got to talking and he realized that I was into acting and, you know, performing. And he's like, well, you know, this, could, this is something that could help propel you into that. You could circle around. And I was like, that kind of makes sense. I, I, I can see that. And he's like, well, let's, let me train you for a while and uh, you feel it out and see how you like it. So we ended up training and he, he taught me everything that I didn't know, which was every 99%. Sure. It. And I loved it so much. And he, com- he coached me in my first competition and I was able to compete in a federation that's natural. So it's tested. Nice. And, and you know, Presumably, most of the people competing are natural, not on steroids, and I loved it. It was amazing. It was so fun, and it took off from there. And I just haven't really looked back. Which and is I fantastic. My, I got my pro card last October. Last was it last year? And What's a pro first... card? It comes from participating in a certain amount of. Yeah, well, you have to you have to win at least in this federation. You have to win first place um, in the overall category, and then you, then you have to compete again as a pro pro and then you officially get your pro card so i did that in october it was their first competition in muscle beach and i took home third place that's that's very exciting and now you've got a significant instagram following you're open uh are you doing any acting i know there's a, a you did a um like a, a uh okay i'm looking at the thing is this mean a movie or a vlog wait i can't the little, I, did you do a movie about life with HIV? Oh, I, so I vlog on YouTube. Right, I know. I can't figure out YouTube. I tried. <laughs> that is where I found you, but like, I can't figure yeah. that shit out, so. 
So I do a ton of videos on HIV, on bodybuilding and fitness, and then just general, general like becoming a better person. Videos. But what about the acting? I think you, I mean. Yeah, it's still definitely a fiery passion of mine. Um, I'm just kind of, right now I'm going where, <laughs> you're gonna hate this term, the universe is leading me. Um, <laughs> I do, I don't know, I'm so torn. I believe in the, un listen. I believe in the universe. I spoke to this woman. She used to go by Kitty Talks, but now she's changed her name to Eloise. And she was basically telling me that I don't understand the name change. I forgot to ask her, but I was also super intimidated because there was like a little bit of a cult vibe. But she basically yeah. told me like the way things work is when you find your, your power and your passion and your purpose and you're living up to your full potential, things, yeah. people will come to you. Yeah. And so I bought that. It gave me the chills. I still believe it. Yeah. And oddly, right after I got, like, I got off this um, interview, I checked my email and um, I had an email from Gabby Reese's assistant because I had reached out to everyone about, can I come on your, you know, blog? Give me, who's Gabby Reese? She's, aren't you a sports oh, wow. dude? She's a drop dead gorgeous um, volleyball Olympian. Oh. Um, but, uh, I don't think it's going to work out, but that wasn't the point. It was like this sign yeah, yeah. of like, holy shit. That was good. Yeah. Um, and so, and so I do believe the universe, but okay. I don't like when the wide receiver catches the football after working his ass off and, you know, scores a touchdown and thanks Jesus. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like okay. you, That's you fair. work your ass off. So there's a fine yeah. line between, yeah. Going where the universe leads you and taking advantage of everything. And I think you I see. do both. You know? Right. And I think in some respects, they're one and the same. Yep. They go hand in hand. Yep. Oh. Yeah. So I have one more question for you. Okay. Um, and, and thank you. I know I took up a lot of your time, but um, I enjoyed yeah, it. Please. And you, you tolerated it. So, um, so in the course of working on this, my book, 10 Steps to, find, 10 Steps to Finding Happy, uh, one of the subjects that came up conversationally with uh, some of my friends and I is, well, how do we define happiness? And so it's now something I ask every guest. Interesting. Oh, man. Right? It's tough, right? So tough. Um. Happiness to me is feeling a sense of peace and fulfillment in, in my day to day. Like I can be in pain or I can be struggling and be happy. Yeah. Happiness isn't necessarily um, like that everything is great. Does it depend you know I mean? on the, yes, but does it depend on the type of pain? Uh, physical yes. pain. Yes, because if that pain is a result of you doing what's fulfilling and giving you purpose and that peace inside that you're yeah. in alignment with who you are, then that's like good pain. So like muscle recovery is cool. It's like going to the gym. Yeah. Yeah. And you're yeah. Yeah. For the reps, you know, this is my purpose and it hurts, but yes, I feel happy about it. Yeah. Um, and then I would imagine anything that would be related to uh, a drop in white blood cell counts or something else like that is a different kind of pain. Not that sure. that causes pain, but. Um, yeah. I would, yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't use that as an example personally. Um, and not to go, get off track, but I have to, I often tell people who are coming to terms with living with HIV and aren't familiar necessarily that a uh, fluctuation in your white blood cell CD4 count is completely normal. Some people go bananas when it goes when it drops down. Right. That's that's totally normal and not to get too emotionally attached to that number. I guess my so my association was I have no problem with soreness from working out. Um and um uh I mean who I hate leg day after I haven't been who doesn't, you oh, know, but sure. right. Right. But um if if I, if I feel back pain because I have this long, lengthy, complicated PTSD oh. history, I freak the fuck out, you know? Yeah. Um, so I can be yeah. happy and feel pain. It just can't be in ways that, um, oh, I hate this word, but in ways that trigger an earlier. Um, 
weakness, emotion, uh, trauma. Yeah. Yeah. You don't I'm have not, to agree. It's okay. I, I'm not completely content with my definition of happiness, but so revise it. It's good enough for because I think eventually, like, as someone who is more enlightened, is going to say that you can be happy with any kind of pain, and that happiness is. Are you talking about those assholes that lay on nails? <laughs> or like walk across fire? Okay, they can say that. No. But it's at the end of the day, it's a, it's a decision. Yes, from yes. Once you're able to remove yourself from um, your like worldly experience. Step number one is choose to be happy. I thought it was bullshit when we first started Woo! writing it, but now I'm all about it. Yes. I am all about it. Um. Thank you so very much. I, like I said, I will do your bio at the, you know, I will record your bio when you send it to me and put it at the beginning, but mm -hmm. tell people where they can stalk you. Okay. So my, the main two places are Instagram and YouTube, both um, under my name. So it's Raif, R-A-I-F, Darazi, D-E-R-R-A-Z-I. -R what happened to Zimmer? Raif Darazi. Uh, you just changed the whole thing? Well, it was never legally changed. Oh. Yeah. And everyone in Orange County knows me as Timmy Zimmer. And they're like, can I still call you Timmy? And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, some things are never going to change. But it was always legally right, Durazi. Wow, there you go. And uh, by the way, you never heard from your father. Uh, that's a whole... Fine. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, I thought no, the answer was going to be simple. And so... Well, I guess we'll have to hang another time. <laughs> so you're stuck with me. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Neurotic Nourishment Podcast. If you like what you hear, please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, shout from rooftops, smoke signals, hot air balloons, whatever. I'll take any of it. Uh, and if you really like what you're listening, why don't you become a patron? Join our Patreon. Visit us at patreon.com backslash neurotic nourishment. Thanks. Thanks.